Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week we are talking about toxic masculinity. My name is Emily Mitchell, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center. With me today I have Joelle Morales. Joelle uses he, him pronouns and is the operations director for the LGBT Plus Center Orlando. Joelle is a certified trauma professional who studied medical coding terminology and case management. Joelle experience ranges from public health, nonprofit management, project improvement, substance abuse, and relapse prevention. A long-standing community builder through volunteerism, Joelle is one of the co-founders for Q Latinx, a grassroots racial, social, and gender justice organization dedicated to the advancement and empowerment of Central Florida's LGBTQ plus Latinx community. He continues spearheading efforts to affirm and empower the LGBT plus community and its allies through information, education, advocacy, and support. Joelle, thank you so, so, so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Hola, mi gente. <laughs> I'm really excited, too. And I also have returning Kevin Fox. Kevin uses he, him pronouns and is a registered mental health counselor intern with the state of Florida. Kevin worked as a high school teacher while receiving his Master of Arts in clinical mental health counseling from Rollins College. He has worked with adolescents with substance use issues, Equality Florida for LGBTQ plus rights, and in the UF Health Cancer Center at Orlando Health, counseling and performing therapy with cancer patients and their families. His passion when working with clients is to help them increase their resilience and satisfaction with their everyday lives. He seeks to help clients increase their meaning from life and live more authentically and honestly. So Kevin, thank you once again for coming back onto the podcast. Yes, I'm always excited to be back. Awesome. And like uh, you were mentioning, Joel, I'm really excited to have this conversation too. Essentially today, we're going to be delving into toxic masculinity, how it looks across different cultures and groups, how it can perpetuate violence, and ways we can combat toxic masculinity and gender box, boxes and norms. So with that, I think this term toxic masculinity is used much more frequently than ever before in the media and social media, those kinds of things, and in everyday conversation. That being said, as we begin this conversation, I believe defining toxic masculinity would be very helpful. So how would you both define toxic masculinity? What is it and what are people referring to when they use it? Yeah, so uh, so like you mentioned, toxic masculinity is something that we're hearing a lot more and more. And especially now, I'm seeing a lot being used in pop culture, right, that term. And to me, when I, when I think about toxic masculinity, it's not – it's not basically basing on like behaving like a man, but there's three main components that researchers really use. And this is kind of like I refer back to when I think about toxic masculinity is being tough, right? Like toughness, anti-feminine, anti-femininity, 
and power, it's control, right? So for me, toxic masculinity is just someone who um, has power, has control and toughness, and is kind of like, you know, it could it could be very harmful. It's it's like extreme pressure of being a man to another level. Got it. I love that definition that you had three different pieces to it. Kevin, do you have anything that you want to add to it? Yeah, I mean, very similar. I I always think it's this idea of masculinity to a point that is then damaging and doesn't allow room for anything outside of that. Like if someone's a little bit feminine, again, especially like in terms of toxic masculinity, being anti-feminist, being very sexist in nature. Um, But it's about, yeah, like overproving what it means to be masculine, even though depending on who you ask, what it means to be masculine is like so different anyways. So um, it has just that, yeah. I mean, it's in the, I guess it's, yeah. In the definition, right? Toxic is the key word. It's just pours out and, and damages those around it. And some related traits as well, like when, it, when we talk about toxic masculinity, is misogyny and homophobia, right? So those are like two major things that are traits of someone who amplifies toxic masculinity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to my next little point here is what are some examples of toxic masculinity that come to mind when we um, when you think about it? I know for me growing up as a as a you know openly queer Puerto Rican male and, and and growing up in a very like religious family and like I was told and I believe we'll have a discussion about machismo and, and toxic masculinity but I know for me for examples has been like this pressure of you have to be like your father you have to you have to uh, like take care of the woman and as a queer young boy and we're not understanding I was queer at the time, just kind of like these pressures of like trying to be something I'm not and fitting into this box is very harmful, right? So that's like, to me, an example, like you have to be the certain way and you have to provide um, for your wife or your family, right? So it's one of those things like that was embedded as a young child. That's just one example, but there's so many. Yeah, I think... Well, kind of tying into the definition then with example, it's, it's, I was thinking more about like, what is the definition of toxically masculine, but um, it's telling men and women both how they should be in the context of men having power to even such small examples as like a newborn baby girl has to get a pink blanket and a baby boy has to get a blue blanket. And then when you're decorating the nursery, it has to be princess themed and all this and that. If it's a girl and if it's a boy, it has to be sports themed and race cars, like already prescribing how someone has to act when they're an infant and don't even know their own gender yet. You know, anatomically, they have a sex assigned at birth, sure, but that baby doesn't even know anything about themselves or the world. And yet we're already dictating this is what you're supposed to like and this is how you're supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, essentially we're talking about gender boxes here, mm-hmm. you know, kind of where you have two options, right? And most of the time, and society doesn't let you choose which option usually, <laughs> you know, it's like you're assigned at birth, like you were mentioning, Kevin, um, even though I, I love that you said that you don't, they don't even know what their gender is yet, because yes, you know, gender is something that you define yourself. Um, but yeah, essentially there's this box of, you know, this is what's masculine. And then there's this box of, this is what's feminine. And what's really interesting is, you know, one of the first questions that we get, you know, as people are, you know, for example, if they're having a child, um, one of the first question is, Oh, what, what gender is it? Is it a boy or a girl? As if like, that's the first thing that's, that's important. So then, okay, this is how I'm going to start treating the child, right? This, these are the kind of presence I'm going to buy it. These are the names that are allowed to be assigned to the child. So, so everything, the identity of the child stems from, you know, that question, which is the first one usually of what, what, is it a boy or a girl? Right. Mm. Um, which kind of leads me, you know, you're kind of touching on it, Kevin, of how it damages, um, everyone. I think when we think of toxic masculinity, we think obviously it's damaging to, to women because, 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit more how it can um, start perpetuating violence. And you were mentioning power, which is an important word to bring up during this conversation. How do you think that it can actually damage everyone? I think just in the way that it prevents people from being who they are. So like, as far as like maybe emotionally damaging, it just stops this idea of vulnerability and self-expression. So like if there was a, uh, you know, a male cisgender straight, you know, someone who would typically be more masculine perhaps, um, but they really love musical theater, all of a sudden they're stereotyped by other men as probably being gay or queer in some way, just because what they like is singing and dancing and thereby more effeminate. So now this person has this whole crisis of identity because society's saying like, ah, you have stepped out of the norm. And so now you must be judged for that. And so that's damaging to other straight men. You know, it doesn't just affect women and gay people. We, I think, perceive the brunt of it, of course, um, but it affects everyone because it prevents an ability to just simply be yourself without persecution from other men who have power or perceived power. Um, you know, just high school, right? Like the jocks who play football, they're the top of the food chain because they're so tough, they're so masculine, they're so uh, being what the world thinks they should be. And then the boys who are nerdy, the boys who are in drama and in chorus, they get the short end of the stick because they're deviating from being a sports guy or a jock. You know, they're not fitting into the mold that society wants them to be in. Yeah. It's like, it's it's very harmful. Like when we talk about toxic masculinity, it's harmful because just for a man's perspective, right? It could cause depression, stress, and all these other norms, society con um, contracts that people expect a, a man to be. And that could perpetuate violence against women, right? Because when someone is grow being grown up and being taught these ideologies that you have to be in control, you have to have power, it causes me mental health concerns, but then it, it causes like a man to feel violent against women or cause domestic violence, right? It causes like this violence or even in the closet or like in a, we call it like locker room talk <laughs> when you're talking with other men and talk about how I can, um, oh, my wife um, listens to me and does what I say. And um, that's the way it is at home. And that causes violence. and. It just causes a lot of stuff harmful mentally for someone and also it could perpetrate violence against others. I always think too, like I've never seen more disingenuous conversations, I think, not to like, you know, put straight men in the like path of fire here, but like when I see two straight men talking about something tough, like, oh, my mom passed away or my dog's sick or I'm having a tough day, like you don't see the same kind of empathy and support necessarily with two people who are trying to uphold this idea of masculinity because that prevents being emotionally open by like definition of of toxic masculinity it discourages that because that's feminine and so i think in that way it's damaging in those male to male relationships because well i can't be vulnerable in front of you or i can't cry about the sad thing or i can't be upset that work is hard right now for me because then i'm losing my power in that relationship dynamic by being vulnerable and by being a bit more quote unquote feminine acting when it's really just human acting. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're losing that sense of power because they're being vulnerable. It's, it's so true because it's like when you're not processing these like traumatic events in your life and people who kind of exhibit toxic masculinity, when they're not vulnerable, they don't cry. It, it, it becomes layers, right? Layers upon layers where someone's not processing these emotions or these things that happen to them because they have to be a certain type of way to society and it manifests in other different ways years later and because of these things that uh, we're told not to process not to cry not to be vulnerable you're supposed to be the caregiver to the you're supposed to be the strong one to everyone else so it just causes so many different things and we probably don't even know the big like effects it, it can manifest to later on 
absolutely. Yeah, I love everything that you're both bringing up. And, and Joelle, I wanted to explore a little bit more of that term that you talked about called machismo. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your own experience with toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and kind of explain this idea of machismo and how it relates to this conversation. Yeah, so machismo is really, it's an ideology. It's based on men being dominant and being more dominant than women. Um, and it's a, it's really associated with masculinity pride. And this goes back, this is actually rooted back in the in the 40s and 50s when women were uh, the house house um, the house the house takers and the men were the ones that will go and make the coins, right, per se. And it was like this pride, this sense of pride. But with time, it really formed into, you know, not so not so good. I compare it to toxic masculinity just in a Latinx type of culture environment. And like I said earlier in the podcast, just growing up with this ideology that you, that people have to be a certain way or men have to be a certain type of way. And I experienced it myself. And I've been pretty open with my own personal um, home violence. But growing up, I seen my mom, um, you know, be violently attacked by, uh, abused by my father and my stepfather. And it was something that was kind of like normalized because it was that control and that power. My father was a caregiver, the one that takes care of everything. My mom had to be submissive to my father. And to me growing up, I was like, okay, this is normal. (laughs) And when I was able to get out of that and just get into society and look at other things, I'm like, wow, this is not normal. That was not okay. And it was really rooted in machismo and toxic masculinity. And it was very harmful for me and my my siblings just to witness that because it was one of those things that even growing up, the boys had to protect the girls from younger. Um, my, I had to look over my sister. I had to um, take care of her. Uh, now, I'm, I'm the one that can have a whole bunch of girlfriends, right? They wanted me to have lots of girlfriends. You need to have five, six girlfriends at school. And I'm over here like trying to discover my queerness and I didn't even have those words yet. So that was very harmful mentally for me uh, growing up. So yeah, so machismo is really, is really about that. It's like pride in a masculine way and once again putting people into boxes or having to be a certain way where maybe you're necessarily not right and we should like people it's okay to be masculine but it's just a way how you express it it was really rough growing up in an environment like that yeah i really appreciate you being vulnerable with us and sharing all of that joelle um, i think that it really adds to the conversation of you know how harmful that this can be actually um kevin did you have something you wanted to add i mean i think to that just emphasizing the importance of the story like how harmful it is to try to force someone in a box when the teenagers especially are such a time of like finding yourself outside of what our parents have taught us to be Mm -hmm. um and we need that space to be ourselves without a stereotyped idea whether it's specific to one culture and not, you know, machismo specifically with Puerto Rican culture and a lot of Latinx cultures or whatever we call that word when it comes to other cultures, because it exists in many, many forms. Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to, um, you know, culture in general. So I wanted to ask, you know, why do you think toxic masculinity exists anyway? And then could you speak a bit to the culture that we live in and how sexism plays a part in this? Yeah, um, I think it exists because it's just another system of men in power creating a system that supports men staying in power. And I mean, I'm talking like like hundreds of years back, right? Like, because kings always had the power over the queens. And if there was a lonely queen, she had to find a king to take over because she couldn't be trusted by herself. Like historically speaking, it's always been in most, not all societies, but in most um that the men are in power. And if there was a female in power, it was like such a wild exception. Um, So like cutting to today, um, that trickles down into sexism because we've created a system of keeping men in power. And so how then do we make sure that the women don't achieve more power or that we 
stereotype what it means to be feminine as less than masculine, which is where sexism, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme, like toxic masculinity is at the top. Underneath that, you have sexism. Underneath that, you have homophobia. Like it just keeps trickling down from there because they're all just systems that exist to support men, you know, cisgender straight men staying at the top of that food chain. Mm. Um, even when, I mean, even nowadays people talk about, oh, diversity hires because you have to have a certain amount of women and we have to, I mean, women are more uh, of the population in the US. So in theory, if it was equal representation, there would be more female congressmen, senators, all of that. Uh, but there's not because the system doesn't call for that because it wasn't built to, right? Women couldn't even vote till 1919. So how are we, how, how, <laughs> how can we act surprised? I don't know, people deny that toxic masculinity exists. If you look at those historical facts, like I'm not sure how you could deny that, uh, that women have been around literally forever, just like men, and yet rarely have they ever had a place in any society where they get to be the ones calling the shots more often than men let alone a collaborative way. <laughs> yeah, once again, it goes back to that control and that power, right? It's patriarchy, right? Because you hold that power, that political leadership and social privileges, right? So it's like, we want to make sure we hold this tight um, to have control. So I, I think it's, it comes with that. It's the power and control when it's not, we're not equitable, right? We're not um, diverse. And to me, it's so surprising to see like even nowadays when we look at it like oh the first woman to be in this type of leadership or the first trans person to be in this type of leadership and it's like why has it taken so long right we're in 2020 and now we're having the first of anything is is shameful and and i think it, it roots back to toxic masculinity and control right it really defined and 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 kind of where we're at now in society Absolutely. And what's so interesting about this concept is, yes, it is propping up this system that benefits and, and keeps heterosexual straight white men at the top. But at the same time, um, and I should say cisgender as well, um, but at the same time, it hurts. It's a system that hurts them. Like we were talking in the beginning, you know, they're not able to emote um, as human beings, right? It's like forcing them into, you know, this is what you're supposed to like. This is how you're supposed to act. And kind of what you were saying earlier, Kevin, about having like these disingenuine kind of experiences that must be so taxing, you know, not being able to express yourself, not being able to have these close bonds, which is really you know, human beings are, are social creatures, right? And it's just really interesting to me, this concept that it props them up, but at the same time, it, it damages them just, you know, as just like it's damaging everyone else. Oh, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like systemically, economically, politically, women, people of color, queer people do get affected the most by, uh, Toxic masculinity, of course, because we're barred from certain things because of it. Right. But I think at the end of the day, most queer people, women, people of color who are able to look behind the curtain, you know, like Wizard of Oz, like we can see past the toxic masculinity. We end up suffering personally, at least the, the least, in my opinion, if we can get to that place of like self-awareness where it's like, at least I'm not, I'm, at least I'm my authentic self. At least I don't have to pretend to put on a face my whole life just to uphold some idea of masculinity that is not really doing anything for me, <laughs> you know, like to the average person who's not in a position of power or like a millionaire or billionaire, upholding that idea of toxic masculinity only really robs you of being your authentic self. Um, and then per worse, even perpetuating that idea to like children and family member and friends. Like, so I don't know, I think, queer people and women have a unique way of like breaking through that and just being our authentic selves um, more easily sometimes than those people of power who just their whole life go putting on this face of masculine and I have to do this and I have to act a certain way. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And kind of going back to what you were, you were mentioning a lot about, you know, our, our past and, and how, you know, our culture here um, as Americans, right. And our, 
our relationship with toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. So I wanted to ask, um, and either you, Joelle, or you, Kevin, can jump in. Um, you know, can toxic masculinity look different in other cultures or countries? Yes. <laughs> I know you have your your Amer your history teacher background, Kevin. Did you only do have like American history, or did you study other history too? No, I taught world history. Um, so I got like, a, you know, to glimpse at every culture, even in just, a, you know, because world history in high school, you have one year to learn the whole history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny because, and I don't want to speak too much, especially about modern day cultures and where religiosity mixes in, especially in places like the Middle East, which are typically stereotyped to have the worst female oppression. Um, and I would say that that is probably true. You know, in America here, there are definitely women of Middle Eastern descent who on their own volition prefer to wear a hijab or a head wrap. Um, and that has nothing to do necessarily with a man telling them to do so. And I think that that is empowering. Whereas obviously in a place where they're forced to be a certain way, that's the deviation. Like that's the difference in that. Um, but like, you know, I think of when China had their first female empress, when you look at history, she she's classified as ruthless, evil, mean, manipulative, conniving. Like she doesn't get a good reputation. Um, when you look at, uh, I mean, so many cultures. I even think back like early, early, like Mesopotamia early. We're going way back here. You didn't know this was a history podcast. <laughs> like, I love we have this idea of hunters gatherers and the hunters, you know, the tough killing stuff, uh, running with spears, masculine, are, is usually taught as being the men. But if you look at most societies, um, in a lot of those cultures, women were actually the hunters. They would be the ones going out, which is definitely probably true, because if you look at most animal species, like lions, lionesses, the men just sit around all day, and they don't really do anything. It's, it's the female animals that do the tough stuff and go gather and hunt. Um, and it's the men that have the pretty colors. You know what I mean? The male peacock has the feathers and is showboating while the female peacock's like doing all the work. I love that. Um, and, and Joelle, you talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, machismo. And so I wanted to ask, um, is there a kind of a difference between toxic masculinity maybe within the Latinx community versus um, more of the greater like American experience or anything that you want to kind of add to that? Yeah, I would say it just really depends on when we talk about culture and the different cultures that exist, expectation for men and masculinity looks different, right? So it really depends on what is perpetrated within that culture. But what I could say for myself, um, being Latinx and, and just growing up, it's, it's one, one, once again, just going back to, you know, you have to be a certain type of way um, and, you know, just putting yourself in this gender gender norm and gender box and even in religion right when we talk about religions there's a lot of and you know and i be, i believe like there's a lot of different religions and, and and things of that nature but for myself in my experience um i i encounter a lot of toxic masculinity within the church within uh, like the females have to be a certain way and then the men are the pastors and for the church and they have the full control. But then I remember growing up and just seeing, just seeing really bad stuff happening within the church um, that I grew up in and, and females being taken advantage of or, you know, so it's just, it's just one of those things when you talk about religion and we talk about like different cultures and backgrounds, it really depends on what is being raised and what is masculinity being defined as within those cultures and what is expected from them. Um, and like I said, for the Latinx culture, we're expected to, you know, be the caregiver and be the, you know, the be all for the family, which is a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's such a good point is that, like you were mentioning earlier, masculinity is hard to define. And so cultures are just defining it differently. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that difference comes from. That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of which, you know, different groups and such like that, could, um, could either of you, you know, speak a bit about toxic masculinity within the LGBTQ plus community and how it maybe 
different or differ from toxic masculinity experienced by heterosexual people. Yeah, that's like a huge issue in itself. Honestly, we could have like a five part series on toxic masculinity. Um, I'm starting to see that. (laughs) But it's, it's almost the same thing that seeped its way in like, uh, the more masculine you are, for whatever reason, the higher prized you are, like, if you can be straight passing, if you're still hitting the gym, not that again, everyone should be hitting the gym, it's probably good for you, like, hello, whatever. But like, if you're looking a certain way, you have a muscular, masculine body and demeanor, and your voice doesn't quote, unquote, sound gay, like, if you're, if you're checking all those boxes that make you more similar to a stereotypically straight male, then somehow you're better. Um, and there's a lot of, especially like the young boy, like the Gen Z people, like they're really fighting hard, breaking that down. They really don't care about that as much as um, a lot of the older queer generations. But I mean, if you're flamboyant, you know, in the gay community, your chances of, of dating people goes down because they only want like we call it mask for mask in the gay world, like masculine guys only for other masculine passing guys. And it just is silly. And, and like, that's a problem within the community, but that problem was given to us by the toxic masculinity that in general exists in the world that affects women and all people. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. there is work to be done within the LGBTQ community in that way. But there's also just, that's like, a whole cultural makeover that needs to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Kevin's saying because growing up and, you know, as the person who is um, approaching his 40s and obviously um, LGBTQ issues, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And But when we think back, I, don't, I know me growing up, I never see myself reflected back at anything I seen or watched and uh, being raised that you have to be this certain type of way. But once I finally was able to come out the closet and find who I am as a queer, as a queer cisgender man, I'm like, okay, cool. Now I know who I am. And I was coming out, I remember coming out of the closet and to my family, which I experienced homelessness, and that was a whole other issue that I went through, right? Because of the homophobia that existed within my own culture. But once I was able to reconnect with my family, my mom specifically, um, I don't blame her for the way that uh, she treated me or because it's just a culture and what she believed in. But I remember one thing she told me, she's like, Joelle, as long as you don't do drag, I'm okay. And as long as no one else knows, I'm okay with it. So I'm like, okay. So that was like one instance. Okay. Okay. Let me not be a drag queen, whatever that means to her. I don't know. But then once I got into the world and started dating, um, it was one of those things like, okay, mask for mask. You have to be this way, or if you're more feminine, then you're, you're less attractive. So it was always this thing. Like it was very clicky. I remember growing up and just going in about like toxic masculinity, going, this is going to be a whole other conversation too, but when we talk about um, the industry of sex workers in the porn industries, do you know, because sometimes what we talk about like tops, bottoms, versatiles, uh, bottoms tend to, they say, tend to be more feminine, right? And tops are supposed to be more masculine when in reality, that's not the case at all, right? That's just a, a preference somebody might have sexually in bed. But in the porn industry, bottoms actually get paid less than um, the tops would in the in sex work. So that to me is like, wow, that's like that's crazy how that even trickles into someone's financial impact in another industry, right? When we talk about LGBTQ and and toxic masculinity, what's more value than the other? Yeah, it always makes me think of the phrase like, "You can be gay, but do you have to be that gay?" And it's right. like, what does that even mean? First of all, <laughs> or like, or like, or if you don't know something, I'm taking away your gay card. I'm like, wait, what? Because I don't know right. what I'm this thing or whatever. And I remember growing up, it was, it was well, this is this will be females that will do this to me actually. That they'll be like, oh, because they know I'm gay, so I'm supposed to be a certain way, right? That's another thing. And it's like, okay. Can you do my hair and makeup? And I'm like, um, no. Unless I could do it. It's not going to come out good, but. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the idea of, once again, kind of people having presumptions of 
who you are based on, you know, how you identify, right? Yeah. And then once again, having these social scripts that were taught. Um, and, and while you were talking, Joelle, you know, about your mother, it's like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't create the system. We're all part of it, mm -hmm. right? And like, it, it goes back way, way, way in the past. Um, but you know, it just kind of snowballs and it builds and it kind of changes, but it still impacts us. And it kind of brings me to this other idea of, you know, is it just men who contribute to toxic masculinity? And if not, you know, who else is contributing to this, um, cultural phenomenon? Yeah, it's definitely not just men. I remember, I don't remember what I was saying a few questions ago, but I, remember to be conscious to make the point to say that some it's always a some not all conversation um mm. because there are i mean for sure there's people within the queer community that are that uphold this idea of toxic masculinity i think that comes from a place of internal homophobia they've been taught that they have to be some way for so long that even though they may have come out as gay and accepted that about themselves they still uh are trying to be at least masculine in every other way. Um, but I think women can also perpetuate it too um, in the way that they don't make room for people's individual expression when it comes to their gender. Um, you know, like anyone who is anti-trans, like, uh, I what is that? It's like a word for feminism, but it's exclusionary of trans women. It's her, uh, yeah, trans exclusionary radical feminist turf. Yes, like people like that to me, there's, although they brand themselves as feminist, feminists, and I'm sure in a lot of way they are, just by excluding people based on your idea of gender is a toxically masculine idea um, or an idea that comes from that place. Um, you know, any, and I, for some people I feel bad, for some people just the parts of the world they grew up in, they might never know that, um, the way they're acting and believing just comes from people telling them what to think. And, and I think that's a lot of it sometimes, but um, there's for sure. I mean, and we see it in female politicians who actively vote against stuff that is pro woman and pro queer. And I think, again, that comes from that place of toxic masculinity um, just as one example. I, I love this idea that, that you brought up of how, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not supporting those who are just trying to express themselves, regardless of their gender, however they want to, that that itself is propping up a system like toxic masculinity. It's propping up, you know, keeping people kind of like cookie cutter people, right? You know, like this is this is what you're supposed to be. And at the end of the day, you know, um, whoever kind of like contributes to that is contributing to the, the greater system. Um, you know, how does toxic masculinity do a disservice to survivors of sexual assault to identify as male, for example? I, the proof is in the pudding, like the numbers, like we know, we know for women too, that the amount that it happens is greatly underreported. Um, but they say one in four women, and I think one in six men, Emily are sexually experienced sexual assault. Right. It's uh, but, one in 10 sexual assaults is a male victim. And yeah. even though like, of course that's still mostly female with that statistic, you would think at least 10 to 17% of our clientele would be men. But I would say our clientele of men is like maybe 3%. You know what I mean? Like it's so significantly smaller because there's so much more guilt. Like, oh, if I was man enough, I would have fought this person off of me. Yeah. Or if I come clean about it and I have to say how I was assaulted, then that makes me seem gay or it makes me seem feminine or it makes me seem weak. Um, even more, you know, scary. Uh, and just to clear a lot of things up too, I think there's um, a lot of stereotyped ideas about how men get assaulted that it's like gay men preying on straight men, which is not true. Uh, interestingly enough, it's usually straight identified males attacking other males. More and more, and another plot twist, if you will, it's because they're trying to prove how masculine and tough they are, that they need to exercise this control over someone, that they use sexual assault as their weapon to feminize the man that they're assaulting. Mm -hmm. Because if I sexually assault you, uh, 
um, and and do it in a way that makes you seem like the weak one. I've proven my masculinity, even though what I'm doing, you know, the act of it might seem quote unquote gay because it's a male on a male. So it's it's a weird, strange, demented rabbit hole. Um, but that is a lot of where the embarrassment and the underreporting comes from because I'll see even, um, and I know like my role here is to see the LGBTQ community members uh, when they come in, but it's, I find that it can be easier for a gay man to disclose sometimes about what happened if it was another gay man and it was like, you know, someone was drugged or uh, they were too drunk and they were taken advantage of. That seems to be easier still to disclose than, uh, than for a straight man to disclose, especially if the assault was by another straight identified male, because then it is like, wow, I was just feminized uh, in the worst way, you know, and there, and then that embarrassment comes up. Got it. And I think we're starting to kind of open up this idea of, you know, how does toxic masculinity perpetuate violence? And Joelle, mm. if you wanna jump in, feel free to do so. Yeah, no, just going back as a person who is a survivor of sexual assault myself, and I never reported uh, at that time. I wish I knew what I know now then, but it's, it's like what Kevin was saying. It's one of those things like I felt, you know, like my masculinity was taken away or I had no control over the situation. I was embarrassed. I was totally embarrassed from the situation not coming forward. And I hear that a lot with individuals. You know, it's like I lost power, I lost control. And sometimes what I believe is sometimes people don't come forward either because oh, these things don't impact, right? Males or males are not sexually assaulted or there's not resources out there. And there is, right? We have the Victim Service Center where you guys do incredible work and it's just people are unaware because the conversation is not normalized. And it's sad to say like, you know, violence is not normalized. The conversation of violence is not normalized because there shouldn't be no violence, right? Our goal should be getting to zero violence uh, within our community and culture, but just people not being able to come forward uh, it's it's rooted in toxic masculinity because it's one of those things like okay i lost myself in this and now who am i right it's like this lost narrative that people could go into and it causes a lot of uh, anguish and uh, mental health concerns later down the road yeah this idea of um you know their identity right kevin have you seen that with survivors of male survivors of sexual violence when they they talk about kind of their masculinity after the assault yeah like the idea that their masculinity is like taken away yeah do you mean yes yeah and i think it comes back to that place of like i sh if if i was a tough enough man i could have fought them off somehow or i could have not been the target you know sometimes even being the person that is assaulted it's like why me and was i not what was i um, what vibe was I putting out that made me seem like I was easy to be victimized can be a whole uh, processing point in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it can be especially daunting when people question their identities. So uh, if someone is gay identified and maybe they had childhood sexual abuse, now there's a question of, am I gay because my abuser was my uncle who is a man or my cousin who is a man, mm -hmm. uh, did that make me how I am? And of course the answer is no, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it can be a whole identity crisis of masculinity and sexuality and gender. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing mm -hmm. that. And thank you, Joelle, for also sharing your story. Um, I wanted to kind of come back to this idea of you know, spaces that hold toxic masculinity. You were mentioning, you know, um, you were talking about locker room talk before Joelle, and maybe we can even think about other like male dominated spaces. Um, I think when we talk about toxic masculinity in the media and stuff, we kind of think of those spaces and kind of going off of that, do you think that um, within those spaces and without those spaces and just toxic masculinity in general, is there kind of like this feeding off of each other? And then with that, does that kind of prompt to 
promote violence within those groups, if that makes sense. I know growing up, I remember <laughs> growing up in, uh, I'm from, nor um, from up north, and I remember <laughs> with my straight friends, <laughs> my guy friends um, that didn't know I was gay at the time and, you know, just kind of like normalized because I wanted just to fit in. And it was actually co-workers of mine because I wasn't out. And I, I remember them talking about, oh, we need to go to this club because it's ladies night, right? It's it's free. It's free ladies night. And we got to go there because it's going to be a whole bunch of like drunk women and we could take advantage. And I was here this like they will know what spaces to go into because of certain things and certain norms. Like, oh, ladies night, it's free. This is what's gonna happen, you know? Like we're gonna go there and we're gonna, you know, holler at these women and, and things of that nature, which was, you know, like to go and talk. But then obviously when we talk about toxic masculinity that could lead into what? High risk behaviors, over drinking, alcoholism, and it could lead to violence against women. So it's just knowing these different spaces that people have these conversations and they'll know what to go into. Besides, like the bathroom, locker room talk that happens a lot. And then I hear it like in the gym when you're hearing about like the men just talking over and talking about the women um, in the gym. And it's kind of like, like hard to interpret that and you hear that, but it's, 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 yeah, it's an intense. Yeah, that's actually really funny because I had that uh, conversation with a roommate in college because she was female and she was going to go out to a bar with friends like her senior year or something. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's ladies night. I was like, "Ugh, why don't they have like men's night? I want a discount on my drinks. And she was like, she was like, everything is for men. And I was like, no, the ladies night is for men because they're trying to get you drunk so that they can take you home. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's a trap. It's it's not what you think it is. It's literally get the women drunk so that they're easier to take home. I had no idea. Like, I just want to say that I did not put those pieces together. So you're kind of like, I like <laughs> now that you're oh, saying. Star Wars, it's a trap. <laughs> it's true. Now it makes complete sense um, what you both are saying. So yeah, wow. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Um, but uh, kind of talking a little bit more about uh, masculinity in general, you know, while I was researching this podcast, I actually came across a couple of terms called like positive masculinity or healthy masculinity, which is essentially trying to combat constricting gender norms such as like men don't cry, those kinds of things. So how can we help dissolve toxic masculinity as individuals? Basically, how can people who identify strongly with their masculine side, still embrace that without taking on the toxic side of masculinity. I would say just empowering people, empowering everyone and men um, to be vulnerable, right? Like men don't cry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to share your feelings and your thoughts um, of what you're going through and not feel like you have to uh, be this certain type of way or fit into this box. We're all different. We all have a different journey. We all have different experiences and we all express ourselves differently. So to me, I think that's one of the first steps I would say, just kind of like, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to be emotional. Let yourself express because feelings are important. Yeah. I think a lot of it is everyone has to do their own work on putting their expectations of how the world should be aside and allow people to be who they are free of constraints because ultimately it makes everyone happier and more productive. If I don't have to fight so hard to tell you how to be and I can just accept you as yourself and I can accept me as myself, then there's there's not a conflict in that. But when you know, people work so hard to rally against queer people and against women's rights and against uh, uh, racial justice. And it's like, if you just like, you know, got that chip off your shoulder and just allowed space for everyone, then toxic masculinity would disappear because we've just accepted that regardless of whether someone was born male or female, how they express their gender and what their gender is to them is a unique and personal journey and it has nothing to do with anybody else. It's literally <laughs> that, and that's it. Like, why are you so caught up on it anyways? Why are you so bothered? But um, if you just allowed that space for everyone to express themselves in the way that's important to them, everyone's going to be happier because everyone wins. 
I love that. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's a wonderful place to sign off. But before I do, is there anything that um, you, Joelle, or you, Kevin, would like to bring up about toxic masculinity that we may not have covered? I will say just like... I love that we had this conversation and this is a conversation that we have to continue having and breaking down the the walls when it comes to toxic masculinity because it's one of those things that maybe a lot of people have blinders to and and people are expressing these traits and behaviors and not realizing it. So I think the more we talk about it, um, the more we can bring awareness to it and hopefully end toxic masculinity. I feel like usually in our podcasts we're uh, we do a lot of like talking to and about and bringing up minority communities. So I just want to take this moment to give a shout out to the straight cisgender um, <laughs> men out there who are not toxically masculine mm-hmm. and who do that work of accepting people, allowing equal space for women, for people of color, for queer people that don't question, don't bat an eye. And you know what I mean? Like props to them because that takes them rallying against toxic masculinity as well. Um, and they are our partners in fighting toxic masculinity, just like the rest of us are who would fit minority categories. Um, so I want to just <laughs> say, give a shout out to those straight white men out there who are, um, who recognize the importance in, in, in feminism, in equality, in taking down toxic masculinity. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think you're absolutely right. And that's a wonderful place, I think, to sign off here. So thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you, Joelle and Kevin, so, so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you.